into the text here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord for his church today. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan. And we're going to continue in Luke's gospel, chapter 3 at verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is ready and at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. The word of the Lord. In the text we just read, the text that we have before us this morning, John the Baptist comes. And John is preparing the way for the Messiah. But I want us to think a bit for just a moment of what does it mean to be prepared? What does it mean to prepare for something? Every one of us in this room, including myself, got prepared this morning. You woke up. Right? You had coffee or tea or whatever you drink in the morning. You had breakfast, maybe. You got dressed. You made a decision about what you were going to wear. Maybe like my house, you were watching France and Poland to play soccer, whatever, whatever you guys do to prepare, right? Uh, I took my dog for a walk. Um, you did things to prepare 
to be here this morning. And I had to do things to prepare as well. Aside from getting dressed, I had to think about this book, (laughs) what we're doing in this very moment. I had to prepare for that, right? And why do we prepare? What's the point? We prepare. Preparation implies some kind of event, some kind of thing that we're waiting for, that we're hoping to get to. Does that make sense? You don't prepare for nothing. That wouldn't make any sense. You prepare for this thing that you're hoping you're going to arrive at. And your goal, if it works, is that you don't miss that very thing. Does that make sense? So if you hadn't got prepared this morning, you might not be here. If I hadn't prepared this morning, this is going to be an awkward 30 minutes for all of us, including myself. Have you guys ever seen, um, there's a video, and it was going to take too long. I don't know, if, is it me making this noise? Um, they'll, they'll show a video, and there'll be like six people in a circle, and you're watching this, and they got a basketball. And they say, hey, I want you to count the number of times the basketball gets passed to each of these people. Have you guys seen this? Anybody seen this? And so you're focused, you're watching the video, and you're like, oh yeah, that was like 25 times. And then they say, did you see the big gorilla that walked through? And you don't even see it. It's called inattentive blindness. Wait, inattentional blindness. One of those words. Because you're so focused on the basketballs that you miss the gorilla that walks through them as they're passing the balls. See, when we prepare, we focus on something. The question is, are we preparing for the right thing and are our eyes fixed on the thing that's going to help us see the thing we're prepared for? That was kind of a confusing sentence, but I think hopefully it makes sense. We prepare for something. Preparation requires us to do something, right? And you felt it this morning. All you kids felt it as your parents forced you to get ready for church, and they made you put on what we call at home a church shirt, right? Which means it has buttons, right? You got to put on a church shirt, right? And they make you do this thing where you have to comb your hair. I even dislike that, Um, and, and, but because they wanted you to get here and they wanted you to look a certain way and be prepared for something, it requires something. Sometimes we don't like it, but it's necessary. See, John the Baptist comes on the scene and he is here to prepare the way of the Messiah. He is wanting to, to prepare Israel so that they don't miss him. He didn't want them to miss his arrival, the advent of Jesus. He didn't want them to miss that thing. And so he's going to, we're going to work through the text, and really what we're going to talk about is two main things. He calls them to repentance. We've got to talk about repentance today. And he calls them to bear the fruit of repentance. We're going to talk about what that means. But before we can really get into that, I want us to take a step back, and I want us to talk about John the Baptist. Because maybe you're a new Christian, maybe um, you've been around church for all, maybe we, maybe we know some stuff about this guy, John, maybe we don't know a lot, and so I just want to give us a little refresher. I do have to apologize, based on some references that happened last week by, I won't name the person, some of you may have been expecting to see John the Baptist here. Um, sorry to disappoint you, I looked for a camel's hair cloak, and I ordered one on Amazon, but it's not here yet, so... Um, You guys are stuck with me. Who is John the Baptist and how did he get this really cool nickname, right? That's what I want to know. Um, John the Baptist is the messenger God sent 
to announce the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And there's really two things I want to mention about John that I think are really significant. The first is that the gospel writers spend a lot of time telling us things about John. And one of the things they do is he has this really um, exhaustive kind of birth announcement, so to speak. Right? So there's a lot of kind of interesting things that happen for John. Let me give you some examples. And, and I want to say this. This does not happen a lot in the Bible. This is rare. John's birth, if you were to read in Matthew or in Luke, his birth is announced by angels before he's even born. Angel shows up to Zachariah, that's his dad. Hey, you're going to have a son. Most of us, all the kids in here, I doubt an angel came and told your parents that you were going to be born. If he has, let's talk after church, right? It doesn't happen a lot. It does not happen a lot in the scriptures. It happens to someone that we really love, Jesus, right? It's a very similar story. There's a few other people. Also, John's name is given by that angel. So not only, hey, Zachariah and Elizabeth, you're going to have a baby, Here's what you have to name him. They don't even get to choose the name. It's predetermined. God is doing something specific. He names him, and he, they tell him exactly what he's going to do on this earth. He is going to be a prophet. He is going to prepare the way of the Messiah. What his function and role are all told before maybe he's even conceived. We don't even know. And the last thing is that his birth is a miracle. Zachariah and Elizabeth, his parents... They're, I don't want to anybody, but they're old. They're like beyond, you know, baby years for tracking here, right? And Elizabeth, it says, is barren, which should trigger some Old Testament stories for us. So they're really old. Like they're not planning on having a baby. It's a miracle that she even has John. Now, why do I say all that? The writers are trying to tell us John really matters in this story. What he is doing is extremely significant to the point that Jesus himself says in Matthew 11, hey, anybody, if anybody born like of a woman, John's the greatest. I mean, how'd you like that set of you? That's pretty cool, right? Jesus says that himself. <clears throat> We're supposed to notice something about this. The other thing is this, John's role as a prophet. He comes as a prophet. He's proclaiming that the Messiah is coming. And remember, like in the context of what's happening in the world, you've got this guy Caesar, and he's going around doing a similar thing. He's got people proclaiming his kingdom. Right? You have people going ahead of you proclaiming that the king is coming. And John is coming, and he is declaring that there's a different king, and there's a new kingdom, and the kingdom of heaven it's right upon them. It's right there. And this prophet John, why this is also significant, is we're supposed to pick up that he represents someone else in the story. And we went through the story, went through the whole Bible last year, and maybe you guys remember a character, Elijah. How many of you heard the name Elijah? Right? Crazy Old Testament fire from heaven. He's like bold and brash and John and Elijah kind of have all these really big similarities. And in Malachi 3.1, this is what the prophet says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, 
Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come, that's speaking of Jesus, the messenger of the covenant who you desire will come. So before Jesus comes, there's going to be this messenger. And the people of Israel were waiting, they knew that, and they thought it was Elijah. They were right. So they're waiting, think about this, they're waiting for their Messiah to come to bring in this age when everything's going to be better, everything's going to be new, and they know and believe, they think Elijah somehow is going to come before that. And so the writers of this are making some really interesting things to tell us, hey, that Elijah guy, he's John. Jesus himself actually says that in Matthew 11, but I want to show you a couple similarities, and I promise I have a point with this. Listen to this. John and Elijah, right? Well, they're both prophets. That's pretty easy. This is interesting. They both wear the same clothes. If you go to 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, Elijah's going around, camel's hair, leather belt. Styles had not changed in like a thousand years, apparently. Right? They're both living out in the wilderness. These are like wild dudes. They're both eating weird food. Right? So John has got honey dripping off his beard and locusts. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you could even survive on that, but whatever. Elijah's got ravens flying to him, feeding him food. I mean, this is like crazy stuff. Like, (laughs) I'm glad I'm not a prophet. Um, They both have kings and queens trying to kill them, right? Elijah's got Ahab and Jezebel. They're like really, really bad. And then John has Herod, and his wife, and it ultimately leads to John's death. They both anoint their successors, right? So Elijah anoints Elisha to carry his ministry. John is going to baptize Jesus to go into his. There's so many more similarities. I encourage you, if you're interested in that stuff and you kind of geek out about Bible stuff, which is I do, that you would look at that. Why do I say all this? I say this because if the Israelites are waiting for Elijah to come, right, And there's this guy that shows up, and the writers are telling us, hey, that guy is John. He has the spirit of Elijah. He's doing all the same things. He looks the same. He wears the same. They eat weird stuff. If Elijah has come, then who else is coming? The Messiah. If Elijah's here, then that must mean the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which is exactly what our writers say. John is preparing them. We're supposed to notice that if that one thing has happened, then guess what? The thing that they have been waiting for is upon them. And John comes on the scene and he prepares the people for the Messiah by calling them to repentance. Now, repentance isn't easy, so we got to talk about this today. John is a herald, he's a messenger, he's a voice crying out in the wilderness, right? And his message is, hey, the Christ and the Messiah is upon us, so repent, turn from your sin, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And we read this just a minute ago, but I do, I want to read it again. This is from Isaiah 40. Whenever you see something quoted in the Bible, in the New Testament, go back and read more of it not just what they quote. It helps us understand. So we just read this a second ago. This is from Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. This is supposed to be good news. It's over. 
comfort. Here's our verse. A voice calling. This is John. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley is raised up. The mountains and hills are made low. The rough ground is plain. The rugged place is plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Through John, these words of Isaiah are being embodied. They're being filled up. They're being brought to life. And John is saying, repent. But it's not because the Messiah is going to come and obliterate everything. No, it's because he's going to come and make all things new. Your salvation is coming. He's going to pay for your sins. This is good news. And this is why he gives these pictures, right, of a highway in the desert. Deserts are places where you get lost. The Israelites wandered in a desert for 40 years. The path was not straight. Valleys are being raised. Mountains are coming. No, it's a picture of like God is going to restore everything through this Messiah, Jesus Christ. Get prepared, John is saying. Get prepared because in Jesus, everything is being made new. And it's supposed to be comforting. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are rough, if you've read them. They are warnings. They are God calling them back. Calling them back. Repent. And then it comes to here, and it's, this is comforting news. This is the good news. And like Pastor Don mentioned last week, they had been in these 400 years of silence. And John is saying, hey, a light has come. He is breaking through the darkness. This is your comfort. This is your Savior. This is the one you've been waiting for. Get prepared. Why? So that you don't miss it. Because if you're looking for the wrong thing, you, must, you just might find the wrong thing. If you're not looking for Jesus, you may not find him. But what's this repentance all about? What does repentance really mean? So I want to quote to you something from John Calvin because he's way smarter than I am. And I figured he's a, you just would rather listen to him. This is what John Calvin, the great reformer, says about repentance. The Hebrew word for repentance is derived from conversion or return. And the Greek, the Greek version of that, from a change of mind or intention. And the thing itself corresponds closely to the etymology of both. So it's kind of a combination of both words. The meaning is that, departing from ourselves, we turn to God, and having taken off our former mind, we put on a new. On this account, in my judgment, repentance can thus be well defined. This is his definition. It is the true turning of our life to God, a turning that arises from a pure and earnest fear of God, a sorrow of sin, and it consists in the mortification, that's a good word, like a subduing or a death of, our flesh, the old person, old man, and the vivification, activation of the Spirit. If I had to kind of sum it up, I'd say it like this. Repentance is a return to God, a changing of the mind and intention. It is our reorientation back to the people God originally called us to be. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a turning. We've, we've, we've probably heard repentance as this kind of 180 turn, Right? We're pivoting, we're looking back, we're coming back. But you can't do that apart from confession. You can't repent without saying things. 
You can't repent without humbling yourself before God. You have to be willing to be honest. I don't know about you, but those are not always easy things to do. I don't think I'm alone in that, right? It's not easy to do. Because you can't repent and hold your pride at the same time. They don't like, it doesn't work out well. You have to be willing to say, I'm off track. I've gotten off course. I have deliberately done what I know God has not asked me to do. And I want to turn back. I want to reorient my life back to him. And listen to this. John is not, um, he's not preaching this message to like the Gentile Roman people. He's saying this to the Israelites. He's saying this to the covenant people of God. He's saying this to the people who have the Torah, who have the promises. They're trying to live this thing out. He's saying it to them which is humbling. He's calling them to repent. And I might suggest he's calling us here to repent today as well. We all get off track. Whether we're a Christian or not, we all need to come back to God continually, but we'll get more into that in a second. But it wasn't just that they would come and hear John speak. He says, if you want to repent, then come get in line. Because he's got a baptismal called the Jordan River. So you had to humble yourself and you had to like stand there and wait. I mean, I don't know how the lines worked, you know, if it's like a double line system or whatever. But, you know, you couldn't just say the thing. You had to like show it. Right? You ever done that? We're like, you got to like raise your hand and then like, oh yeah. And something, once you come forward, you're like, no, never mind. I'm good. Like, I don't want to actually people see it. That's awkward. <laughs> they had to actually get in line. They had to humble themselves. And this reminds me of a verse from the very beginning of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1, at verse 16, that's what the prophet says. Wash and make yourselves clean. Sounds a lot like baptism to me. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. There's some repentance for you. Confess, repent, stop doing the things that you know you shouldn't do. Stop doing the things that take your eyes off me, God might be saying. If you want to see me, then your preparation needs to include coming back to me. And that turning, that repentance is symbolized through the waters of baptism where we go into the water and we die to one life and we arise as a new creation and another, we're going to see baptisms next week, and it's going to be beautiful. And it's a picture of that. But there's still more. We can't just do that. This is what verse 17 says. This is, this is good. Challenging. Learn to do right, Isaiah 1.17. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So repent. Stop doing the things that you shouldn't do, but then you've got to do other stuff. You can't just stand there. Seek justice, right? This is this Hebrew word, mishpah. It's like this dynamic action where we seek the good of other people, especially people who can't seek it for themselves. Right? And the Bible says the POW. This is the poor, the orphan, the widow. God really cares about those people. Now, God cares about all people. 
But we have to remember, we have to fight too for the people who don't have it within them to fight for themselves sometimes. See, our actions matter. They really matter. And why is Isaiah saying this? Because these are the things God cares about. So if we turn our, if we repent and we turn to God and we want to be about what God is doing, then we have to do the things that God does. And what does God care about? He cares about justice. He cares about love. He cares about values. He cares about compassion and forgiveness. So he says, go be about those things. It's actually not that complicated. And John is saying the same thing in the passage we read. He's saying, hey, repent. And then the other language he uses is later, he says, bear the fruit of repentance. What does that mean? Go do the thing. Go love people. Go show forgiveness. Go fight for the people who need fighting for, right? Go live the thing out. In order to be prepared for Christ, we can't just repent. We also have to change the way that we're living. See, John demanded that their actions reflect their repentance. Going back to Luke chapter 3, this is going to help us make sense of why, I don't know about you, when I read this, you're like, John is getting super fired up here. I mean, yeah, listen to this. Crowds come to him. They're like, all right, we're coming. Everyone wants people to come to you. They finally get there. This This is how he welcomes the people. Imagine if we did this this morning. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. How many people would come back? (laughs) It's not a good opening. You might think he doesn't even want them to get baptized. I don't think that's the case. I think he's saying, hey, get baptized. But this isn't just like anyone can just jump in some water. Are you willing to live this thing out? And he says, hey, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't, hey, don't even say to yourselves, hey, we had like Abraham. And Abraham's like the man, you know. He's like, listen, God could like make a son of Abraham from like a rock or a tree stump or whatever. Like your past isn't enough. Who are you now and who do you want to be? It's not that them being sons of Abraham doesn't matter at all. But it doesn't mean God's going to overlook the way that they're living, the injustice that they're doing, because they can say, this guy was my great grandpa. Right? It's more than that. Anybody can confess and be baptized. It's, it's a symbol. We could say these things. We could get sprinkled with water. Are we going to live it? Is it going to change something? Are we going to be now looking to God and then living differently from it? And I confess to you right now, this is a difficult thing to do. We all will fail at it. So I'm not saying we have to do this perfect. This is why this is going to be a continual process for us. So the crowds, they're great. The crowds are awesome because they're like, well, then what do we do? Like, this sounds impossible. And this, I, listen, I think the Bible is so funny. I mean, I think it's serious and great. But I also think it's comical because you see these moments, you're like, these are just like human beings. Like, like, what do we do? And he's like, oh, here, I'll tell you. I mean, you would think he's going to say something super profound. Hey, if you've got like two shirts, you should give somebody who doesn't have one a shirt. Okay. Tax collectors come. Teacher, what do we do? Like, don't collect more than you're supposed to. Like, all right. The soldiers come. Like, what do we do? Like, hey, don't, ex- don't exhort money. Don't, like, accuse people. Like, just be content with what you get paid. You get paid 25 bucks an hour, just be cool with that. I mean, these are the things, think about this. These are the things we teach our kids. 
hey, like, don't steal. Like, don't, don't accuse people of stuff that's not true. Like, be nice to people. Kids, you're all in here today, right? These are things your parents are teaching you, right? Don't steal, right? Don't, like, accuse people of stuff. It's, it's kind of, it's fairly basic stuff. Is it too simple? Are we expecting more? What is he getting at here? Well, one, it's like, if you really have repented, then you got to show it, right? I've said this to my kids. You don't have to acknowledge this, but, Dad, I'm sorry. Well, they do something wrong. Okay, well, then, sh- you know, show me by acting differently next time, right? We, we use this language all the time. Oh, yeah, great, great. Well, then, you know what? Give a shirt away. Don't take more money at your job, right? Think about how these things all play out. Remember, John's entire purpose is he's preparing them for the Messiah, okay? And this is how this is going to start to make sense. He wants people to see. I keep coming back. He wants them to see Jesus for who he is. And he's saying, hey, live, come, repent, be baptized, and start to live differently. Why? Because when this Messiah comes, those are the things that he's going to be about. He's going to be about justice. He's going to be about helping people. He's going to be about loving people. And if you are doing those things, you're going to see him because you'll be looking for the right things. And if you don't like those things, if you don't want those things, guess what? You will not like the Messiah that God is sending. Right? Because that means we're focused on something totally different. And guess what? Sad. A lot of people missed him the first time. Not everybody saw Jesus for who he was, right? It should break our hearts. So how does this help us? Because we're looking backwards a little bit, right? We're celebrating, we're remembering the advent of Jesus, but it already happened, right? We jump into the story. Why do we do that? Well, because we're in a similar situation, right? Not exactly the same. Christ came, he defeated death, sin, evil. The spirit of God is in us. They didn't have that. That's incredible. But then Jesus left. (laughs) And we're waiting for him to come back again, kind of like they were. And we don't know when he's coming back. We believe he's going to. So do the words of John help us? I think they do. I think that the words of John, the way he's preparing the people, are exactly the way that we need to be prepared today. Today we are called to continually repent and live lives that reflect our repentance. We have to turn back to God. Now, I want to say this. Repentance certainly means, and many of you have experienced this, you were apart from God, God awakened your life, and you turned 180 to him. You gave your life to Jesus. It transformed your life. A lot of us have had those experiences, but it also means, because most, a lot of us in here are Christians, but we're called to still repent. We don't talk about this enough as Christians. We are called to continually confess, not because we're not forgiven, but because we are, and we want to be prepared for what God is doing. We want to keep our eyes fixed on him. Does that make sense? And if we don't, our unrepentance, you know what it leads to? Spiritual blindness. When we're unwilling to repent, we don't see the gorilla that walks right in front of us because we're just so blind. 
And I want all of us here to see. I want you to see Jesus working now. I want us to be prepared for the Jesus who is coming again. And the way that we do that is we learn how to continually repent and turn our eyes to Christ and to be about the things that Jesus is about so that when he comes, we're not disappointed. He's the God we've been waiting for. We have been trying to live in his kingdom now. We have to bear the fruit of repentance. Remember, our vision at this church is to see communities renewed by the love of Jesus. Do we really want that? If we do, then we need to, through another value of ours, we need to earnestly seek God. And that means reading his word, but that also means seeking him through repentance and turning to God and being willing to confess and humble ourselves before God and also before other people at times. That's what's going to help us. And as we live that out, I promise you, we will start to see communities renewed by Jesus. You'll see it in yourself. You'll see it in your home. You might see it at your workplace. But we can't see that if we don't learn how to continually repent. If not, we just run the risk of missing out on what God is doing. See, like the early church, like who John is talking to, their repentance was not going to If they didn't repent, it wasn't like Jesus wasn't going to come. It wasn't dictated by that. But they might miss it. And so us, God is working all around us. But if our eyes are fixed on the wrong thing, we can't participate in it because we don't see it. I want us to be a church that sees it. I desperately want us to be a church. I want to be a person who sees it. Because if not, our vision is skewed. And I'm just missing out. And then I'm really not prepared for God coming back. I'm not looking and waiting and wanting him to come back. The primary way that we really repent and really fix our eyes back on Christ is through this right here. It's through this table. This meal that Christ hosts for us. Paul says that whenever we eat that bread and we drink from that cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until the second advent. This meal nourishes us and prepares us for the coming of Christ because it's based on the fact that he came the first time. And that's what we remember at this table. And that's why we come to this table not once in our lifetime, but continually Because we continually focus our gaze back to Christ. The table reminds us that the body and blood of Christ, they were sacrificed for our salvation. It reminds us that Christ is sustaining us through the bread and the cup. We come to this table, we sit face to face with our Savior, we look into his eyes, we remember what he's done for us, and we learn to expectantly wait for his return. Whether or not we ever see that in our lifetime does not matter. Christ is the host of that table, and he invites everybody to come and eat and drink. If you profess Jesus Christ, this table is for you. This is our community meal together. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this table and what it means and what it symbolizes. We thank you for your son that you sent who gave his life for us. We thank you that you continually welcome us to this table. You call us to repent. You call us to turn our eyes back to you. Not because you don't love us, but because you do love us. And so we take a moment just to sit. God, give us sorrow for our sin. Help us to mourn those things because you have something so much better for us. We approach this table this morning reflective, wanting to live for you, wanting to see your kingdom come. Father, we pray that this bread and this cup would be the presence of Christ for us, for your church today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.